You are about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. In 1943, the U.S. and its allies were grappling with the terrors lurking beneath them. German U-boats, that for some time had been capable of outmaneuvering the existing class of Navy destroyer vessels. Of course, new, more quick-turning ships were employed as the war went on. As new technologies were researched, new ideas came forth, some more strange than others and top-secret programs began to silently take off. And from there, legends were born. The World War II era has become notorious for mysterious experiments and stories, particularly Nazi experiments involving weapons research and theoretical ideas bridging into strange and esoteric realms. However, at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard, October of 1943, a different military legend was born, as the Allies, too, had their share of clandestine conspiracies surrounding military and scientific aims. One of the most prolific conspiracies that has lasted for decades and is riddled with bizarre questions, despite the madness of the alleged events. Join us on Into the Portal for part two, as we attempt to tie some loose ends and speculate on the bizarre claims and ideas of the Philadelphia Experiment. Hello, I'm Amber A. And I'm Andrew McKay. And welcome back into the portal. Your gateway to the bazaar. Yeah, we are jumping into the conclusion, hey, of our two-part Philadelphia experiment extravaganza. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you said that with like a RuPaul kind of like inflection on this <laughs> extravaganza. <laughs> Philadelphia experiment eleganza extravaganza. <laughs> there you go. I guess you could call it that. It is pretty fantastical. Uh, yes, yes. In, this is one of the weirdest, I mean, definitely the most conspiracy theory angled cases I think we've really covered on Into the Portal. Mm-hmm. And Like you were just saying before we clicked record here, Amber, for all of our listeners here tuning in today, if you haven't, obviously go back and check out part one where we really break down, you know, the the first part of the story, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're going to kick things off by doing a quick recap. And then there's a couple of uh, minor inconsistencies. You might want to kill them. Not nothing major. I just wanted to mention a couple of other things off the top as well. But did you want to do a quick little fun recap of what we talked about in part one first? Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and do that because we had um, a lot of information, a lot yeah. of uh, different. Uh, how would you phrase it? Not variations or versions, but just a lot of ambiguity. I would say surrounding yeah. the facts. The opinions, the conspiracy elements, I guess you could say. Definitely. 
we're okay. So the legend itself, maybe that's just the first first thing to start off with here. Sure. So again, we had a couple main players. This guy named Carlos Allende or Allende, right? Slash Carl Allen, and he was the sort of the origin point for this legend, right? That revolved around a very uh, very top secret experiment that took place in the Philadelphia shipyards one day during during the war of uh, the World War Two. <laughs> the <laughs> war of something. The war of eighteen twelve. No, no, wrong that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how that sounded like it was go- <laughs> like it was going. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, he was kind of the, the sea was angry that day. <laughs> <laughs> the sea was angry that day, my friends. Yeah, he was the linchpin, though. He was he was kind of the uh, well. I mean, he's the obviously who got. Jessup all jazzed up, jazzy mm-hmm. Jessup, because, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Do you want to clarify who we're talking about there? Of we course. Morris so, K. Jessup. Exactly. Morris K. Jessup, who was, you know, who he's known now as, you know, like a UFO author. He mm-hmm. was he was other things and did have other formal training that we mentioned in part one. But, I mean, before we even continue on here, like that to me is what's interesting, right? Because it's the time where UFOs are kind of just coming into the fold. It's really not a good idea to be talking about them. You've got characters that are starting to talk about them and they're yes. kind of silenced. You have a lot of like, you don't want to be a black sheep at this time. You know, if you're on the fringes of anything, it's just not a good place to be. No. Like, you know, you want to be uh, close to the center. And, and that that's, and exactly. And that's the, yeah. <laughs> and that's the interest here because obviously the Navy ended up being interest in Jessup's association with this because they were maybe interested in UFOs and other things that they weren't letting on to and happened to be interested. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of one of the tie-ins to why this is so weird that we talk about in part one as well. Exactly. Yeah. So was there anything else you wanted to touch on as far as like, we had a few other people too, like Robert Gorman, he played into uh, uncovering Carlos's real identity as Carl Allen. Right. And uh, we had the two agents that were occupied by the ONR, the Office of Naval research mm-hmm. who ended up doing the replication of Morris's book yes. and then also uh, was the one that conducted this mini investigation and that was interesting on that history's mysteries documentary we watched on this topic where they discussed that and how like you just mentioned Andrew the uh, the navy was kind of at odds, like butting heads a little bit but with the other departments of With uh, the Air military. Force specifically. Exactly. Yeah. The Air Force. That comes up again. I think we even touched on that in the Idaho Falls episode. Like, you know, there's these mm. competing aims of all these departmental research groups and then obviously the funding that goes along with this is sure. very political. So they, there wasn't a lot of information sharing, which again led to like people just conducting their own experiments and their own research and that's why these two officers of the ONR uh, decided to go the way that they did and right. now they've kind of receded into the bushes they pulled a homer <laughs> so to speak and we did have their names actually pulled from there I don't have it in front of me right now but it's somewhere down further down in the dock here I think we'll, we'll we get did to make it an effort to just <laughs> yeah. yeah sift through that and and pull those names up but it was interesting because yeah like they the the, the ONR claims to not have any record of these copies that were made back in the day and it's just kind of mysterious in that yes. regard so it does lend itself to a little bit of conspiracy leanings right which is obviously where we're getting into today like the pick picking up from where all that left off and of course mm-hmm. you know we're not going to redo the whole gruesome story because we did that in part one but where we're essentially left off with is the experiment happens allegedly there's a horrific outcome from it and you've got men fused to the ship other things happening offshore people vanishing other people that just vanished out right from the onset and never came back, potentially. And, of course, these are the themes that got played up in the films, subsequent films that were made mm-hmm. that we ended up watching and actually really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah it was good. The one. 80s one. And uh, <laughs> we might talk about that a little bit, too. But 
that's the quick recap. I think I'm ready to kick things off by getting back into where we picked up here, like the end of the experiment itself and some of the inconsistencies I wanted to mention. So Mm -hmm. one of them, not a major one, but I think we got caught up in the idea that Carlos Allende, aka Carl Allen, who we know now, right, was potentially like on a Navy ship or like was Mm -hmm. actually because we got because there was that image that we saw, right? Like where it was him. It was his it was his photo. He had the number that was like a record of him being like a sailor. A seaman, if you will. Is this restaurant seaman friendly? (laughs) Um, But it was a merchant ship, right? And it was supposed to be associated with the experiment, but it was was a merchant ship, not a Navy ship. Mm -hmm. So we did mention at the time, like, obviously, World War II, merchant ships were played a massive part in the war. They were being escorted by destroyers and Navy vessels, but they weren't then in and of themselves Navy vessels. No, It was was interesting, yeah, because, like, when we we went back to that documentary again, because they had an actual screenshot of the certificate itself. Exactly. And then it said... all it says on it is Certificate of Service to Able Seaman. Right. And then it also has New York printed on it. And so this was the actual certificate that we discussed in the first part of this little series here, where we were trying to, like, suss out how they identified the real Alan, right? And yeah. we were kind of confused about that. So that was Robert Gorman's effort. <clears throat> yes. And he was the one that ended up putting two and two together and actually tracking down this Alan. And right. So, yeah, that certificate with a number, it was not a Navy ID number, so we no. wanted to crack that. Yes. It was just a semen <laughs> ID number. But um, but of course, obviously, like the, the play on the story is that the ship was still involved in the experiment, the Ferris Seth, allegedly, right? And that maybe some, some way, somehow, mm-hmm. he knew someone that was on the ship if he wasn't on it himself, right? Like, that's where it gets all kind of murky and crazy, right? So we know yeah. that Alan was, if at all, on a merchant ship, not a Navy ship, and that this obviously doesn't really lend to him being a more credible source for the story as a whole. But I, but you know, what do I mean by this? <laughs> I mean that I think that maybe there's some other things going on here, right? Like, was there someone else? It, did he take someone else's account and just evolve it and and play on it? And mm-hmm. that's actually what they yeah. brought up in the documentary, The History's Mysteries. Mm-hmm. I think Gorman's the one who mentioned it. He's like, what, is there just a snippet of truth in here amongst all the mm-hmm. what seems crazy amongst the margins as like a metaphor, right? Because obviously Jessup's book was filled with uh, was a lot he, of stuff. Was he perhaps the vehicle, the patsy, so to speak, through which this information was perhaps relayed through a third party who may or may not have this actual information and then it's sifted through the crazy, which again, this is all just lending itself to a very conspiratorial type angle of conversation. Right. But right. yeah, that was that was an interesting point there. Yeah. And, okay, you had more to say, though. Well, I was just going to continue on to sort of, like, I mean, I guess, what's the word? Not just justifying things isn't the right word, but just to kind of build off of, like, what was happening in the war and, like, the need for, like, the idea of the Furuseth being a merchant ship, but they were being escorted by destroyers and stuff. The early destroyers, they didn't have the maneuverability to to compete with the German U-boats at the time. They were just too slow. They couldn't turn fast enough. So that's why they needed to develop these new class of, like, destroyer escort ships, Mm -hmm. which the Eldridge would have been yes. the USS Eldridge, which is, of course, the alleged ship involved in this experiment that vanished and materialized yes. and dematerialized, right, that, everyone? So listen to part one. But <laughs> it's it's still not enough, though. And I think that's the, that's the point of this story and the belief and the research, right? Because even though these new class of destroyers, like, had the maneuverability, it's like these really advanced German U-boats, like, they're freaking underwater, man. So... You and I were talking about this off air before. It's like, yeah, this is all crazy, but we're going to get into some ideas of like photon teleportation later and stuff like that. And that's ongoing research now. And to just think, it's like, man, if you had even someone plant that seed in your brain that maybe that was a possibility, you'd probably get some people on and be like, yeah, if we could teleport even equipment, forget organic matter, forget people, 
that if you could teleport a ship from here to there, you don't have to worry about the German U-boats anymore, right? Which would be pretty amazing. <laughs> well, you don't have to worry about ships at all because you don't need <clears throat> ships to transport anything because you can transport A to B without the ship involved at Right, all. <laughs> but I mean the ship itself is a destroyer, so you could transport a oh, destroyer true. to one place and then wreak havoc without having to have the, the travel true. time and the dangers in between. Now we're bleeding into Nazi bell theories well, here and all I, that. We're so. getting there, but that's basically where we're, what we're dealing with here. This yes. is as the fuel to where the this is all coming from, the notion that World War II was this era that was notorious for these mysterious experiments, weird stories, and particularly Nazi experiments involving weapons and extremely bizarre esoteric technology, possibly even alien technology. And what we're dealing with would be the U.S. potentially conducting tests, similar type tests. And that's obviously, so anyway, I guess I'm still recapping here, but I just Mm -hmm. wanted to clarify what this really is and what we're talking about, because all of this is kind of true stuff, these types of experiments. It's just the conspiracy story. It is. And can we touch on something else? If we're going into inconsistencies and things that just didn't really add up as far as the original story and everything, when we... When we did some more review of everything and all of our sources, we rewatched some documentaries and all that kind of thing, especially that History's Mysteries ones. That was really intriguing to me. And it was interesting because this is where we have a big question mark here surrounding the validity of any of this, right? Because the big aspect of this story is the fact that it was relayed that it had not just disappeared, but had teleported <laughs> to Norfolk Yes, and then back. So the big question is, who the hell was in Norfolk? How did we because, know? Because, <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. right? Who the hell was there? We have no record of any witness being there to see it. The only thing that we have is Alan's statements. And he supposedly, in his own narrative, places himself in the Philadelphia shipyard. Yeah. and Because he, he says he sees the ship turning green and yes. disappearing in this, in like, Greenish fog. And so, and he could feel it. And that's what he said, right? So clearly this dude was not in Norfolk. So that's a big Uh, question that we have to address. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Unless, (laughs) no, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm picturing obviously like in, in sci-fi and stuff when it's like a portal opens, maybe it's like you can see through it and somehow it's like, oh, there's Norfolk there. And, but he's actually still in Philly, but that that didn't happen. That's You're like describing dark. (laughs) Yeah. Or basically many other iterations of like yes. time travel or, very, or very interdimensionality so, yeah. or whatever right mm-hmm. um yeah that's that's definitely bizarre and obviously we can we can come back to that but uh, but tying it back into real stuff <laughs> i mm. guess it's <laughs> like that's what the conspiracy theorists all tried to do right and we're not really doing that here again for if there's anyone new that's listening to into the portal right now like we don't typically cover these types of things. And like right now, I don't know, I think you can tell by the way we're talking about it, how we're leaning. There's definitely so many things that are real that are included in this. And that is, and part of that is the research that was conducted by Albert Einstein and possibly Tesla, you know, working with the Navy right at the time of the alleged event. I don't know where he was actually stationed, but specifically he was working on underwater mine technology and torpedo technology to try to catch up to the Germans. But of course, what makes this so interesting is the idea that we know, we know Einstein was researching other much more vast theoretical ideas. The, the question is, you know, <laughs> would any of this be like, you know, I, I, I picture a general being like, wait a second, like just picking one line out of a theoretical idea and being like, make this happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. wait a second, it's just a theory. It's just quantum theory. <laughs> it's like every movie I've ever seen with that <laughs> happening. But 
you know, you know, obviously he was working on things that led to the atomic bomb. And obviously earlier before the war, he had been, he, he essentially had published a paper that was a counterexample, as it's described, to many of the theories and ideas surrounding quantum mechanics. So this is what sparked this idea of quantum teleportation for people. Mm. And that's where the unified field theory is slapped onto this Philadelphia experiment as like the origins for the experiment itself. And using mm-hmm. these, ele- you know, extremely powerful electromagnets to manipulate light um, and manipulate the yes. forces of nature around us, basically. The electromagnetic fields and thus the visibility or invisibility of certain rays. And so this relationship between that, that essentially could bend and shape and open like space and time. The theoretical idea. Right. So yeah. yeah. And that's where we get back into Allende or Allen, where he actually claimed in his many, I believe it was close to 50 letters he ended up sending to Morris K. Jessup by describing and actually belittling Jessup to a large degree, too. I was reading a little bit more into that, how he was... Um, very much like propping himself up, uh, Alan was, sure. and how he claimed that, yeah, he was actually taught by Einstein himself. Wow, that's quite the claim. And that he could <laughs> prove the unified field theory um, based on the events that he had witnessed on board the USS Andrew Fariseth on that day. I think October. it would have just been the SS then, rather than the USS. What? I don't know. Does, that, does the USS imply, I don't know, I guess it doesn't imply Navy, like it's in the Navy. SS versus USS. Oh, I scratch no that. I don't know. One of our listeners would definitely know, and, and you guys, can, you guys can, <laughs> you guys can hit us up about no that. <laughs> Random thought off the, off the top of my head. Please continue, Amber. Yeah. Well, that was that was kind of all I had to say there. It was just that he was claiming that, yeah, the, apparently this this unified field theory, which has never been proven, as many many sources will tell you, right, um, that he had allegedly witnessed this be proven on this day. So he's <laughs> he's just a simple seaman, not even a part of the Navy or anything like that, claims to have been taught by Einstein. So again, this is very much discrediting any sort of credibility that Alan's <laughs> lending to this, which you, if you want to make the argument that he is a patsy to a certain degree, then mm-hmm. you can excuse a large degree of this. Yeah. But I won't say that to a certain degree. But, you know... It, it, I have a note there. to make on that. I have a point, or a point, rather. It, yeah. Because I, 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 I did read in one other article, actually, I gotta find the source for it here, that there was family members who, like, they talked about Al, Carl Allen in a lot of weird ways. We talked about it in part one, where it was like, oh, he was always sending people weird letters, mm-hmm. or he was an odd duck. Yeah. You know, he was maybe a savant but like yeah. failed but failed high school and like all this kind of stuff right mm-hmm. but then there was one other uh uh section where i saw where it was basically saying that like he was mostly illiterate like he couldn't mm-hmm. even he couldn't he couldn't necessarily write any of these letters the way they were formulated it, like some people would some people look at that and basically be like this is too advanced hmm. like his his writings would have been much more akin to like a, a school-age boy. He he did have relatively like his brothers claim that he actually never formally learned how to write. Yeah. So that well, there you go. That yeah. So he would use annotations and he would use other people's books and writings to express his ideas and maybe like change their ideas, like you know, to suit what he was thinking. And so that would be his annotations. And I, I get that to an extent, but it's like it's still. And I guess maybe that's the kind of weird savant part where he's formulating from that and still making it like. It's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but still seems like he's the one writing it from scratch, like for Gorman and the hmm. people and the O&R reading these weird writings about aliens and how they behave and how they their fuel sources work in the margins of Jessup's books. Mm-hmm. 
And I think those are the points that the ONR was so interested in, right? Like, if it was just crazy saying, I go and hang out with the reptilians, maybe they wouldn't be so interested. But clearly mm-hmm. there's, I mean, obviously we're dealing with so much disclosure stuff right now. But even back then, it's like, this is an open admission that the Navy's interested in UFOs and weird technology. Therefore, they're interested enough to ask to ask Jessup to come in and talk about it because of the because of the mentions of things like fuel sources or other things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like... <laughs> it's kind of funny to think that they even opened up that package and named like what did they say it is like happy, happy easter? easter yeah it was like i feel like that would just be treated as like automatically like, you know get the bomb unit in kind of thing also <laughs> again like on that note of happy easter like we speculated on how weird that was in part one that sounds like like um i don't even know that's like weird like black-eyed kids or like men in black type just nonsense honestly like hmm. in, in a weird don't you think it's like is that Allende like being just really strange because the rest of what he says is strange but it's not like that it's just him trying to claim he knows all this stuff mm-hmm. but then you have this really weird almost borderline cryptic like what does that what what is the association there i couldn't really come up with anything Honestly, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of stumped on that one, too. But anyway, super the, weird. The one thing, too, that I might add to this sort of idea that Alan claiming to have been taught by Einstein himself, what if he really just kind of meant, like, he had read Einstein's books? You know what I mean? And things like that. Obviously, yeah. those are two very different things. Someone, like, personally relaying information to you and teaching you versus you picking up a book. But if he does have a habit of doing this, right, of, of just, yeah. you know, like, re- getting his hands on whatever he can and then maybe... maybe yeah, that's I'm not meant. sure. Maybe that That's is just one thing I will add to that as a, a possible hypothetical yeah. explanation. But yeah. I'm not I'm not going to give Alan too too much credit. Yeah, for sure. right. But, you know. Yeah, well, I, I, I and you know, and, and neither am I. I'm not giving him credit. I think I just think that there's maybe some other like anyway. You guys all know what I think <laughs> based on what I've been saying so far. I don't think the Navy was. Uh, like we obviously went through in part one, like they were uh, pretty quick to shoot all of this down. They were. And again, like the Office of Naval Research, they had their official statement, their official letter on their website there that you can access. Mm -hmm. And yeah, of course, they call it the official information sheet. And um, they do go into the idea that, this is a quote from them, says here that this does not, like Einstein's unified field theory, does not conform to known physical laws, nor <laughs> does the account described by Allen or Allende. Sure. And then they go on to claim that, obviously, yeah, like many sources will tell you this, that Einstein's unified field theory was never completed. And that at the time of 1943 to 44, he was a part-time consultant, as it's described, with the uh, Navy. Navy Bureau of Ordnance. So again, like mm-hmm. ordnance, so like explosives, things like that. Mm-hmm. And he was undertaking theoretical research on explosives and explosions. Mm. Right. <laughs> Which we know. <laughs> the devices that create the explosion and then the explosion itself. Uh-huh. But there is no indication, this is a direct quote from them, there is no indication that Einstein was involved in research relevant to invisibility or to teleportation. Mm-hmm. So that was their official thing. And then I kind of said, but are they... Are they actually correct or are they just like omitting certain things or is this simply an official line taken by the department to cover up these top secret technologies and Mm -hmm. and, uh, research aims, especially in light of what we were just talking about, right? With all of the rivalries between different departments and things like that, you know, like it's a good question. It's a good question. So obviously we will never really know the answer. Maybe, maybe someone will hundreds of years from now. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And and honestly, like, this reminds me so much of stuff we mentioned in, like, our, you know, Strange Mind of Tesla episode. And Tesla does tie into this, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. which is which is interesting, even though he was 
you know, really coming down, coming down to the end here. Like he died very soon in and around this, right? And he was old and he, his, you know, he was, he was prominent in the twenties, you know, he was battling Edison, the AC versus DC, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, yeah, we, we know from, from that past episode that he was researching a lot of things that weren't kosher, like weren't, weren't cool for a lot of people. Like they were not good for, you know, businesses like General Electric or whatever, right? Like, especially the idea of like universal energy and like the wireless grid. He that wasn't he was on board on. with the whole commodification capitalist sort of like view of, no. of technology. No, mm-hmm. that sort of Eastern European side of him. Because he, what was he again? Serbian? Oh, I can't remember I, exactly. I but anyway, you know, yeah, he definitely had some different views that weren't exactly like the American, <laughs> the American dream of capitalism. That's for sure. Kind and, of, yeah. and that's, and that's why pe- people thought he was silenced, right? And a lot of that research was probably taken away. Very much like the idea of like the cars that run mm-hmm. on water. And that could have been a thing long ago, potentially, right? But and, Yeah, and painted in a more negative light and also maybe associated with a little bit of like, yeah, like uh, communism. Like, yeah. If you're not a hardcore capitalist, then what are you? Right. Mm-hmm. So if there's trillions of dollars at stake and obviously the military industrial complex is fueled by trillions, you know, bill, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars every year around the world, like this is something that is going to get silenced and or used. And so that comes up in this crazy ass story of the Philadelphia experiment that potentially there was some work that Tesla had done earlier before his death in the 40s mm-hmm. that could have been used to finish out the unified field theory. So and of course, this is just speculated on many different blogs, and there's no official statements about this at all, obviously, right? There is, there's this one interesting blog though I read where they talk about how the movie The Prestige actually makes reference to this cl- very claim, mm, yeah. and they show that, uh, how, how exactly does it, is it shown? It's like, you know, the Tesla coil, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about that in that episode about Tesla. Mm-hmm. They show it in The Prestige, uh, a large one being used uh, to make things disappear, I don't actually remember that in The Prestige. I have to bring that up again. I kind of vaguely remember that, and but then I thought it, it was more a trick. Yeah, he says here, it's like, but instead he creates a, an exact replica, then it, and that replica comes into being a short distance away, like teleportation, <laughs> right? The mm-hmm. dematerial, like very much exactly like the ship, the Eldridge. Yeah. It dematerializes <laughs> and materializes in Norfolk, but there was nobody there to see it. There was this one guy, and then called everybody up, hey guys, the Eldridge was here in Norfolk, and then, yeah, and like, then everyone, and then Allende was able to write the story. Like, anyway, where is that missing piece, right? It also just seems like of all the things that we're talking about, if, like, if that's the if that's the silver bullet for, like, for, for showing that this is all a hoax, it's like, man, is that a big oversight? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but the idea of Tesla being involved in this comes from an absolutely bizarre source and a source that would come out at a later date. I don't know if you came across this gentleman in, in your research, Amber, Al Bielek. No. So this was in the 80s. He came out after actually watching the film the Philadelphia Experiment, the 1988 film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is after Jessup and, and Allende, right? There were so many books, you know, Je- uh, Jessup had already kind of done his thing and tried to make money off of it and yada, 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 right? So this 80s movie comes out and then we get this guy, Al Bielek, who in his mid-50s at the time watched the movie and then basically said he couldn't shake the feeling that all of this had happened to him before or he had seen all of this before. <laughs> so... I kind of wrote it in here like a real Fox Mulder because we know Fox and X-Files mm-hmm. loves the regression hip, hip, hypnosis oh, therapy, yeah. right? Yep. He undergoes a series of these therapies. And in these sessions, can you guess, everybody? <laughs> Bielek <laughs> remembers that he uh, had these repressed memories of working on the Montauk Project 
in the 1970s. For those of you who don't know, that was a, another clandestine alleged operation, I believe, involving mind control and possibly some other strange things as well. You know, its own series of experiments. But he also got memories back that he was involved in the Philadelphia experiment. Hmm. And, uh, and that his name wasn't actually Al Bielek after all, but he was really named Edward Cameron as he remembered in these <laughs> things, which is weird too, right? Huh. So he's working on the Philadelphia experiment under the name Edward Cameron, along with his brother, who he remembered his name was Duncan Cameron, who at the time would have been in their 20s. So he's watching the 80s movies in his 50s, in his 20s at the time, as a as a Navy seaman, allegedly. Yeah. And uh, man, I mean, is this guy just cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? Sees a movie and then just claims all this crazy stuff. So he says he remembered that Einstein was directly working on this program of degaussing ships. Mm. And I'll tell you what, so degaussing, very strange. And that's what the main theory of like misinformation about this Philadelphia experiment is. He claims that, yeah, he was involved in Einstein's early experiments with this. Degaussing is basically counteracting the ship's magnetic field in order to create such a condition where you can safely go over like mines. That's basically just like making the ship invisible. And it's for, it's for specifically for detonation devices. So it's like, it makes the ship invisible in, 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 so like, that's one of the theories that maybe there was someone who got this blown out of proportion because all of these crew members were talking about how the ship was becoming invisible air quoting here, which it kind of was in In a way, in in a way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was protecting against uh, magnetic mines planted by the Nazis. And research from Tesla was purportedly used in the same technology, this degaussing technology that was expanded upon and turned into a potential cloaking equipment, like literal physical naked eye cloaking equipment, not radar like, cloaking Like the equipment. Harry Potter cloaking like a gi- <laughs> They just have a giant tarp, yeah. <laughs> a massive invisibility tarp that they tarp the entire Eldridge with. Oh, but that apparently is in production. Like, people are working on that. It's oh probably a few God. decades off, but... And yeah. could you imagine if we see that in our lifetime? Yeah. How much? Ugh, hit us up and tell us what, what you guys out there listening would pay for an <laughs> invisibility cloak. <laughs> That's going to lead to some problems, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you think Harry w- was sneaking around the castle? Could you imagine if some kids got oh, their God. hands on an invisibility cloak? Kids? That's, that's the least harmful. Oh, Come on, you man. All right, so back to Bielek, though. He claimed that there was this gentleman named Dr. Von Neumann who was working on the Manhattan Project along with himself. And after Einstein, I guess, was sort of moved off of the project, it's obviously, it's, obviously this is crazy woo-woo, but he... This is what he claims. Mm-hmm. It got passed on to this Dr. Von Neumann, who took all of this research done by Tesla, Einstein, and succeeded in making ships like cannon-class destroyers able to disappear. Hmm. And the Eldridge being the one that got slapped onto this story, right? Invisible okay. for a very short period of time on the for- first occasion. And this is according to Bielek. Yeah. And this was achievable because of the combination of Tesla's research and Einstein's research, which is interesting. They basically created what he called a zero-time reference generator. Hmm. <laughs> interesting. Okay. Very sci-fi. Um, so yeah, they were able to manipulate these electromagnetic fields and therefore uh, manipulate so, the forces of the galaxy. Okay, so Bielek, so this is interesting. Maybe he was the one in Norfolk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe. But what happened to his brother then? And why would he, why would he have a t- complete change of identity? Was this like a mind-washing thing that the Navy did? Or like uh-huh. in black style where uh-huh. they just like whip out their little like 
done thing and then just wipe yeah. your mind. Yeah, he's just a different person then. This does remind me of like, you know, like we've heard of false hypnotic memory oh, yeah. regression type things where yeah. people create all sorts of false memories and things. And it usually is based on imagery that they've seen in pop culture, in movies, in books, even just things that they just straight up imagine themselves. Like it could have come in a dream or it could just be something that's done through suggestibility. To, but yeah, no, that... Yeah, well, that, I've got more to say. Oh, you've got more <laughs> so, to say. Whoa, because, he's not done here. Well, because one of the things we added to our theories section when we were talking about this, like pre-recording, yeah. and obviously in research, was like, is this all just like, I mean, obviously crazy Carl Allende and then just, you know, like from the era, like UFO movies mm-hmm. and just like people getting really jazzed up from from films. And, yeah. you know, like well, there was a thir- 1933 film starring this guy Cloud Rains yeah. called The Invisible Man, which okay. had a lot of themes that were very similar to a lot of this okay. stuff, right? So that's a decade before this alleged event. Yeah. But that's a classic you know, thing people will say, right? Well, yeah, totally. Like, I even saw references to the idea that Alan was just straight up, he was uh, influenced by the fly. That was one of his big influences. Because, right, like, that's fusing matter, and it is teleportation to a certain degree. When too, did the right? fly come out, though? Uh, I think it was 1950s. Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, Like, the did. original? The original oh, fly. Oh, okay, no, right. The 50s, Not the one with... Uh, not yeah. with sexy boy. Oh, what's his name? <laughs> Goldberg. Gold Bloom. Gold Bloom. The Bloomer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Bloomy. Right. Okay. Right. No, not that one. But yeah, no, they were saying that there was one other one too that they referenced. I can't remember it now off the top of my head. I'm yeah. glad you brought up the fly because that actually works uh, in a second here f- to talk about teleportation and sort of the idea of that even being possible. Mm-hmm. But a bit. But just to come back to be like here, it's like is that this idea of like is this just a crazy guy who's like watched this '80s movie and is now is now jumped onto this? It's like man, what. Is, what is wrong with people if that's the case? It's like, do you mm-hmm. really think you're going to get famous from this? Like, that's weird. Like, that's different than Jessup co- trying to commercialize it, right? That's a little ambiguous to me, too, because what if he truly does believe it? You know what I mean? Like, Right. People... And, of course, like, and I dug into this a little bit, but it's like, there's no, re- there's, the, the again, like, the Navy's going to deny mm-hmm. his record and yeah. with the Eldridge. And, like, the crew of the Eldridge, like, there's statements from dozens of them being, like, nowhere near Philadelphia that day mm-hmm. was, right? We've got the, the records from the ONR and from the Navy, you know, the captain are, himself, yeah, the captain himself, and just like, and just their records, like just the archives being like they were here, then they were here, then they were here. These are all things that are easily changed, of course. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but I have to mention this because, you know, again, there's always something, there's always one juicy nugget that really, really discredits some of these uh, characters and both uh, this this Bielek or Duncan, if whatever you want to call him, would go on later to evolve this idea of being invo- like involved in these time travel or interdimensional experiments and claim that he actually traveled to Mars on several occasions <laughs> and that he remembers other trips that he took with research teams okay. back to a research station in 100,000 BCE, oh. as well as other planets to get canisters filled with light and dark energy. Oh! Oh! Now, <laughs> That's interesting there. <laughs> that changes things. <laughs> now, could you? <laughs> okay. I don't really know where to go from that because obviously that's that's that's, that's far beyond like Bob Lazar type stuff. It, yeah, you know what I'm saying. That's a little it's bit. In, beyond it's in that. the same sort of category, but just a different part of the spectrum. Right. <laughs> but then the question. But then very much like you know. You know, uh, Ryan Sprague from um, from uh, Somewhere yeah. in the Skies brings this up all the time, where it's like the idea, or not all the time, but lots of people bring this up, this idea of, like, through these different eras, there's different versions of, like, misinformation that are put out there, right? And the more fantastical a genre, if you will, or, or, a, or a topic or whatever research topic seems, then 
the public's going to care less. And, like, that's what's happened with UFOs, Mm -hmm. right? That's what's happened with, like, a lot of, like, paranormal stuff, potentially, right? Mm -hmm. And the question is, is, like, I don't know. Like, for the people who would say, maybe this guy really was on a Navy ship, it's like, yeah, did someone get to him? Yeah, it's the the men in black brainwashing thing. It's it's making it so crazy that even if there is one nugget of truth amongst the basket of a thousand crazy nuggets, no one's ever going to find that nugget of truth. Because Because it's so diluted. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The truth becomes diluted. And that's what we end up with is just madness. Yeah. Now, we're going to be heading into some final theories, explanations, and trying to really answer a couple of these questions, such as, like, what was the deal with the murder of Morris Jessup? Or or was it a suicide? And who the hell was Manson Valentine in that regard? Because that's really interesting to me. Amber already kind of mentioned the one that we don't really have a way of following up on, but, like, the Norfolk angle. The Norfolk end of the dematerialization. Like, where the hell was that? Like what The the record of the Eldridge as well. We've got a lot to touch on. We've got a lot to touch on. But first, we are going to take a quick promo break. Do you find yourself suffering from negative thoughts or feelings that are getting in the way of your personal happiness and achieving your life goals? If so, perhaps it's time you check out BetterHelp online counseling services. BetterHelp.com is there for you with licensed professionals that are specially matched to you and are available worldwide and remotely, all in a safe and private online environment. Seeking help and finding the right person to talk to should be easy, and that's exactly what BetterHelp.com has done. You can begin communicating with a licensed professional in 24 hours, all through your preferred methods of communicating, including secure video or phone sessions, plus online chat and text with your therapist. You can trust that anything you share with your therapist remains completely confidential. And if you feel the need, you can change counselors at any time for no additional cost. BetterHelp has licensed professionals who are specialized in everything from depression, anxiety, family conflicts, and many other areas that may not be available locally. Best of all, it's truly affordable. Into the Portal listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code PORTAL spelled P-O-R-T-A-L. So why not get started today? Join over 1 million other individuals and go to betterhelp.com portal. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor that can make a difference in your life. That's betterhelp.com portal. And we're back. So yeah, make sure to go check out uh, betterhelp.com and use our promo code if that's something you think you might want to check out. Mm -hmm. Also, before we jump right back into things here, everybody, we have a a pretty sizable announcement, I would say. Mm -hmm. Really excited to welcome and uh, just so thankful to a brand new producer on Patreon. (laughs) Just joining the fold of an amazing crew that we have on there with our uh, production team. Mm -hmm. Jackson Greenberg. Man, thank you so, so much. It's just awesome. We're just so thrilled to have you along for this crazy ride. It's so much fun. And Hell yeah. Yeah, we're just really, really honored. And we did have another yes. uh, crew member join us, a paranormal scholar. Indeed. Need V. So thank you so much, Anid. And uh, we really appreciate the support from yeah. everyone over in our Patreon community. Absolutely. Um, we're really stoked because we do have... We've got an episode researched, locked and loaded, pretty much (laughs) almost ready to go. Took the words out of my mouth. (laughs) Yes, and we appreciate everyone's Mm -hmm. patience. Like, and I feel like we say this say this to everyone, like patrons Mm -hmm. and regular, you know, all of our listeners out there in general, a lot. But it's been a crazy year and a half, like for everybody. But you know, like we're super busy. 
um, with a lot of Career things, changes. right? Career changes, coming back into some level of normalcy with work and stuff yeah. like that. We're getting married in like a month and a half and we're trying to really <laughs> dial that in and it's like really stressful. It has but been. It's, there's it, been so many ups and downs and changes and yeah. you just have to roll with it and we're just, right. we're just, you know. It's, yeah. yeah. So there may be some interruptions to your regular, regular scheduled programming here on Into the Portal, um, but stay tuned for that. We'll update you guys um, because we may need to take some time to kind of wrap up a few of these things. Um, but we just wanted to sort of plant that seed with you because we're not going anywhere. ITP is still yeah. still cooking for the rest of this year. and um, But yeah, we're really uh, excited to have these new patrons join us. Thank you so much again, Jackson and Anid. And uh, yeah, I think I'm ready to get back into our, mm-hmm. our final theories, explanations, and definitely touching on some of these weird-ass questions. And let's just start with, with the murder of, of Morris K. Jessup and or his suicide, because that's a weird one, and that's where we ended off part one. Okay, so let's do a quick recap here. So... Allegedly, not allegedly, so um, history tells it, on April 19th of 1959, Morris Jessup contacted his associate, Manson Valentine, who, I will say, is a very mysterious figure. We don't really know too much or anything about him. No. I've come across a couple of versions of the name, ranging from, like, Charles Manson's son to uh, a guy (laughs) that discovered Bimini Road off of, I think it was the Bahamas. It was, like, this really cool ancient road underneath the sea. Um, But, yeah, so this Manson Valentine largely... At large, I would say. Um, <laughs> yes. But yeah, so essentially what happened was Jessup contacted this Valentine character to arrange a meeting claiming to have made breakthroughs on the research regarding the Philadelphia experiment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Next day, April 20th, 1959, Jessup is found dead in Dade County, Florida. He was actually discovered unconscious and unresponsive with an exhaust pipe uh dragged back into his vehicle, essentially suffocating him. Yes. Uh, The death was ruled a suicide. However, there are some people that will point to some more mysterious and perhaps murderous, and this in particular kind of lends itself to the conspiracy, the fact that he was supposed to meet with him that day, and then this happens. So we have a lot to touch on here, I think, because even his his daughter, she was on the History's Mysteries documentary, Mm -hmm. and, and initially she was kind of of the mind, like it was a bit more ambiguous, but then she recalled in what they, they told is like a a candid moment in her interview where she said to her stepmom who called her to give her the news that she asked how he did it. Yeah. That was her first response. Yeah. So she interpreted that years later uh, upon recalling that statement, she thought that that pointed to the idea that she thought he was in a suicidal state of mind. Right. But you had some interesting points too, Andrew. Like, why would he be pursuing this research if he was so depressed? Like, what, is this his yeah. sole motive in life? Obviously, he had a divorce recently. Right. So that plays into it for a lot of people. Yeah, there's a handful of things. It's just a lot of it that is so strange, right? Like, so he did this. He was found in a park, like mm-hmm. in an open space, mm-hmm. which is another really weird thing, right? It's like, is he doing it to make a point? And if so, what is exactly the message for that? Like, if it's just for because you're going through a divorce, like, isn't it more impactful for... Maybe your your soon to be ex wife to find you at home or something, right? Or, or like you, you wouldn't think you'd make it that public. I mean, that's not typical at all for no, those it types of suicides. Seem typical, unless and, this Dade County Park was like in the bush. You know what I mean? Right. Where which I guess like, we didn't technically Google map the that. The only but. thing I will say that again, this painted a picture from 
the documentary we watched where they had the reenacted scene where it looked like obviously like you can't get that far into the bush with a car like a sedan like he would have had <laughs> so it was like in a parking lot in the, out in right. the open was kind of how it looked but who knows what the actual park looked like maybe it was a little more private yeah i don't know and is and 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 with that being out in the open i guess you know for for us here today it's like is the question you know is that is it a message for someone that we just don't know and that's why it's out in the open mm-hmm. right if it's like a, from Jessup, you mean, or from someone who allegedly might have offed him? Either or, potentially, even. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe Jessup was trying, maybe it was suicide, but he, maybe it was suicide because he knew he, someone was after him, maybe. I don't know. I mean, if it was murder, it definitely yeah. seems like he was left out in the open to send a message. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially. I know. And, like, we're not claiming to be experts on what people do when they're in a suicidal state of mind. No. But, like. It does seem kind of weird. And then, obviously, the fact that cl- this Valentine character was contacted just the day before mm-hmm. tells him that he has this research in hand that was really going to, you know, and maybe it isn't really, like, you know, justifying Allende or Alan, but it was another angle of, mm-hmm. like, maybe the what something the O&R knew, and that's why they were so interested in his book and these weird-ass writings in the, in yeah. the margins. Maybe he touched on something. Right? Or, or, like, we've been kind of suggesting, I guess, throughout this series, the idea that he could have been a conduit through which someone else and another unknown mm. agent was acting through. Yeah, and is it that is is Valentine Maybe. that character? Is he an agent for some clandestine operation that's sort of mm-hmm. like half like monitoring the progress of Jessup's yeah. research, even like slash just like keeping him keeping checks and balances on the characters involved in this crazy saga because maybe there is this one line of truth like linking back to the Navy or something? It's like the guy, I'm sorry, I'm just referencing X-Files again, but it is like, what's his name? Uh, Deep Throat. Yeah, yeah. Where he's like this guy that's the shadowy character that's feeding him information. Is it information? Is it misinformation? Are you a pawn in a larger game? Are you, like, you know what I mean? Do you have agency? Are you making the right moves? Like, that's, it's very Mulder-esque. Yes, it is. (laughs) Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so then moving along from Valentine into this whole question of the witness present in Norfolk. Right. How do we know? Is there any evidence? There's very, there's none. There's literally none. <laughs> you can, you can't. There was even one weird ass article. Even... Yeah, no, like there's one that I found where it's literally like just twisted and turned this whole story around that they yeah. made it sound as if I, Alan was in Norfolk and saw the materialization and not the demon materialization. This is where the story's, you're exactly right. It's been so twisted and turned around and, and so many different analyses applied to it sure. that it's just like, ugh. But. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get into, like, yeah, the USS Eldridge itself, right? And the whole, where the hell was the ship during these times? Like, we actually do have the official war diary from mm-hmm. the Naval History and Heritage Command Library. And I won't read it all as follows, but basically here, it starts off uh, September 18th. Ship is in the vicinity of Bermuda. Right. It's undergoing training. There's sea trials. This takes place up until the 15th of October, mm. where the Eldridge is said to have left in a convoy for New York. Okay. And so this convoy entered into, it was like a three-day thing, so we're up to the date of October 18th. Right. Apparently, the Eldridge stayed in the New York Harbor until November 1st. And then that's when it became part of an escort for a convoy by the name of UGS-23, which was a New York section. And that's through the dates that we're working with here then. Mm-hmm. So it was exactly. close to Philadelphia. Exactly. So they do end this statement saying, but it was in New York. It wasn't right. in Philadelphia. <laughs> sure, sure. They ended by saying that 
Eldridge remained in New York on availability training and in Block Island Sound until the 31st of December when it steamed to Norfolk with four other ships. During this time frame, this is a direct quote here, the Eldridge was never in Philadelphia. Mm. <laughs> so there's no evidence to support that. And uh, this no, is official yeah. records. So right. again, right, this is the era of paper. So you can sure. doctor right. these things. But I'm not saying they did. I'm just saying, you know, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, I, this reminds me, too, of um, some of those statements from the crew of the Eldridge who basically said that they were they were with it from the beginning to the end, not just from its launch, but literally its construction. And so oh, okay. not mm-hmm. only were c- can they speak to where it was, like, at these dates, but there were some that were, you know, could really speak to this idea of, like, no, 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 there couldn't have even been a skeleton crew on, like, a different day or something like that because th- all the, the some of the men involved were literally involved in building the ship itself and oh, yeah. stayed with it the whole time. Mm-hmm. So the only way for that to be a potential thing would be for... I don't even know mind control or mind another ship or another ship involved, and the name was changed to make it seem like it was the. Eldridge it was a swaparoo. A swaparoony. It could. I mean, I have a statement on that in a second, but please, mm-hmm. please continue with the. Uh, well, this is interesting, here. yeah, because this little sheet that was provided by the ONR is very thorough. It goes into the whole story, kind of lays it all out according to Alan's claims, and then it goes into their thoughts on where this could have originated from, this Mm. whole conspiracy and this Philadelphia experiment legend. And so they, this is a quote from him here, it says here, the personnel at the 4th Naval District believe that the questions surrounding the so-called Philadelphia experiment arise from quite routine research which occurred during World War II at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. Until recently, it was believed that the foundation for the apocryphal stories arose from hmm, degaussing experiments. So again, we got Mm. the degaussing here, which have the effect of making a ship undetectable or invisible to magnetic minds, as you already explained, right. Andrew. Yeah. So this is their sort of, yeah. But they also go on to say that another likely genesis of the bizarre stories about levitation, teleportation, and effects on human crew members may be attributed to experiments with the generating plant of a destroyer, the USS Timmerman. In the 1950s, this ship was part of an experiment to test the effects of small, high-frequency generators providing 1,000 hertz instead of the standard 400 hertz. Right, okay. This higher-frequency generator produced corona discharges, as well as other known phenomena associated with high-frequency generators. However, none of the crew suffered the effects suffered effects from the experiments. They were not fused to the ship from these experiments. No, there was no absurd sort of like, Mm -hmm. you know, like... Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. No. But and and that's really that's really interesting. It's like, but that's it's so cool that that's re, like those are actual things that were happening. Like this degaussing equipment. Mm-hmm. Like the way you describe it, it can either be it can sound mundane to some, but I think like you know it's really not that far of a leap and a jump to to sit, to 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 read as these are described the massive electromagnetic you know devices being used for this degaussing experiments and technology, and then potentially some ideas and motivation that's coming from Einstein's unified field theory and just other ideas on potential teleportation and where those ideas came from, and that's mm-hmm. what's coming into this next little section here because. 
you know, very much like sort of, you know, the Bob Lazar type story, story and element 115. And like, where does the, where does any of this actually come from? Maybe it wasn't from Einstein. Maybe it's not building off Einstein's theory. Maybe it's from found technology. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a melding of these different things. Mm-hmm. Isn't a degaussing exper- series of experiments happening in Philadelphia the perfect cover for experimenting on other things involving electromagnets? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, people. It's like, kind of one plus one equals two to me i mean it's the perfect it's the perfect place just how far did they go exactly Mm -hmm. exactly and then again coming back to what you were talking about before with like the little evidence in norfolk it's like you know the original story for philadelphia is that there was like hundreds of people that should have seen it's not like they're posted up in their lawn chairs like watching it yeah like a fireworks they're present in the area but they're technically present in the area so you'd think I mean, you know, that actually in itself would be a hilarious experiment to actually have the experiment be about watching the people who are going about their day to day lives. How many people actually notice a full naval ship disappear Mm -hmm. or or just like a a merchant ship disappear? (laughs) You know what I mean? Where it's like almost like the where you're not looking at it and then you just, you know what I mean? You should have horse blinders. A lot of people do. Yeah, it's true. Well, the same argument goes for a lot of like UFO sightings. The only, just to build off this though, the idea of like, oh, who could have seen it in Norfolk in the movie like that we watched, which which we don't really, we can do a film Friday on it. If people want that, hit us up, let us know. Mm -hmm. But obviously, and in the story too, there were some men that just vanished. Like some refused to the ship. Some are just outright gone. Some later have this weird effect of like their cells being affected. So they just dematerialize. Like they disappear, like people are watching and them disappear. And they travel in time to the future. Poten- exact, potentially, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one explanation for the n- no witnesses in Norfolk. And then the story basically being like the survivors were the ones who said that they oh, thought they were in Norfolk. And potentially yeah. their materialization wasn't simultaneous in time. So they dematerialized from Philadelphia in 1943, October. Mm-hmm. They briefly materialize in Norfolk, Virginia, maybe not in 1943, maybe Ooh. in a slightly different time period. I like that. Less witnesses there or whatever, whatever, right? And then they rematerialize because there's, it's not just black and white, right? Like we... It, it's non-linear. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it could be non... Yeah, exactly. It could be completely... Huh. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. That's sort of another weird Actually, way of thinking about it. That's kind of dumb that I didn't think about that. It was like, oh, yeah, like, clearly, yeah, these men that refused the ship. Like, but how would they have known that they are in Norfolk unless they see, like, a sign that says, you are in Norfolk? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Ten minutes to Norfolk. Or they just like, knew it because they'd been there before, maybe. But, you know, that's stretch. But Yeah, know, there's, like, not. some weird time travel wizard at the end of the portal saying, you're, you're in Norfolk yeah. right now. But the other part of it, too, is, like, even if that happened, how would Alan have been talking to these people? Very true. He was on a different ship. Very true. So I, okay. Then well, on the Navy. <laughs> so many problems. So many I know. Problems. I, well, there's a lot of problems with it. But obviously this brings up the question of like, could these experiments, if they were actually being conducted, having, could they be based on found technology? Mm-hmm. It's a combination of maybe building off Einstein's ideas. But this brings me to a section that, you know, it deserves its own episode. We are going to dedicate an entire own episode to the Nazi bell mm-hmm. because it is utterly fascinating and the accounts of it are crazy. But I wanted to bring it up in in this episode because it is on a simultaneous timeline and the technology, the purported technology might be the same. The bell was considered this achievement of uh, Nazi scientists who potentially reverse engineered something. Mm -hmm. And we know that the U.S. and Allied forces were in this position of sending, like, reconnaissance teams. They were trying to 
steal information, right? Like uh, Project Paperclip was one of the um, one of the designations for this, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we've mentioned that on some other shows before too. And this program actually secured like V two missiles, um, <laughs> uh, from, like you know information from figures like Werner von Braun and like these, you know, and this, like really important stuff for the Second World War. But the bell, or die, die Glock, as it's in German, was reportedly one such technology, or Wunderwaffe, as it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, these, okay. and, and, and like I said off the top of the show, it's like, this is what the Second World War was kind of like all about. Like, you know, the these, these, these legends, the espionage for one, and also this like race for technology. having this crazy technology to win yeah. the war. And if anyone was going to initiate some research in something that's maybe like alien technology recovered to time travel or levitate objects or what have you, it's going to be Adolf Hitler and that weird ass <laughs> team. I mean, come the on. The Nazi occultists. Right? Yeah. yeah, right. They were interested in the weirdest stuff. Mm-hmm. They definitely would have been looking at they this. They didn't discount anything no. mysticism related or anything that was just woo woo outside of the box. Like, yeah, that that actually is a really good point to make, Andrew. It's just the idea of like... We are just on the cusp of the nuclear era, and there are so many possibilities and and just like imaginations running wild with and could you imagine with these yeah these departments of defense like all these contracts all these experimental aims and things mm-hmm. like that yeah it's totally believable right mm-hmm. and so my question with this is without getting into crazy details on the bell I'll, like essentially it was it's called the bell because that was its de- general shape like the shape of a giant bell which is actually ironic here because in philadelphia there's the giant bell with crack in it right <laughs> <laughs> there's the tie in everybody and then nicholas <laughs> then nicholas cage is going to fly out and find a treasure somewhere <laughs> Um, No, but seriously, though, like, that's what the general shape of this bell was described. And it was thought to be some sort of a device that was either for teleportation, which, again, the Germans, if you could teleport your weapons, move troops, like, whatever, move stuff around without the time, you're going to win the war. Or potentially some uh, form of levitation, like, could have been a device used to create, like, fighter UFOs for the, for the Germans or something like this, right? And the question is, could the Americans have either stolen the same technology, like, come across it through reconnaissance, or did they recover some of their very own and were attempting to use Nazi scientists, which they definitely did, like, we know after the war, like, hey, yeah. everybody that we're not going to put on trial, come over here and build our stuff. Like, that's yeah. what they did. Exactly. And mm-hmm. there was... <laughs> This is where I'm crossing over into a million different things, and they all deserve their own episode, everybody, but <laughs> the Ketchberg incident yes, was another I, UFO yes. incident in the U.S. where <gasps> the craft itself resembled, like, the Nazi bell. Mm-hmm. And so there's this tie-in here that potentially there was, like, recovery of that technology potentially multiple times over throughout history and, and attempts to reverse engineer it. There's the bell story on that side of the pond, and maybe... The Philadelphia Experiment, along with other various stories where you're, they're trying to use this reverse engineer technology. The timelines work out. Maybe the bell is involved in this somehow. Potentially. Perhaps, perhaps. Or just re- this weird type of research. I had to mention it because it's like the Germans were looking into the same type of stuff. They it was were. a race, just like the space race was later on with the Russians, right? It was the same. Oh, this is all kind of... Yeah, like, I feel like when we, way back in the day, listening to the series from Astonishing Legends on the Nazi Bell, yes. and the idea, I think they went into the whole line of thought where it was, yeah, exactly like how you're describing, like, the idea that the Germans were after, like, this super machine that could literally transport anything anywhere in the world right. instantly. 
whether that's troops, whether it's tanks, whether it's yeah, aircraft or Just ships, whatever. anything. You can win the war instantly. You can be wherever you want instantly. Yeah. That is huge. And if there's an additional component of time travel to it, well, not only can you teleport in real time, but if you mess <laughs> something up, then you can Scooty Puff Jr. back a couple of days and redo the thing that you just screwed up. Exactly. Like, in theory. In theory. Well, that's exactly where the Philadelphia Experiment movie part two goes. Because ah, allegedly, yeah. it, like, picks up, I'm, I don't know if it's supposed to be the same characters as the original movie from the 80s, mm-hmm. but, like, I think it was early 2000s this came out, and he has to, like, the plot is, he goes back to World War II to stop the Nazis from winning the war because there's some weird loophole thing that happens and then la 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 and mm-hmm. he has to fix the right that was wrong right. and all that kind of thing. Right. But yeah, no, it's, yeah, that's I, I had fascinating to, I, I had to mention that. The other thing I do want to mention too before I forget because this is the only section here where I included this and again, like, it's its own episode. It needs its own episode, so I'm not going to go into electronic fog. <laughs> I'm just mentioning all these heavy hitters here. Ketchberg, Nazi Bell, electronic fog. Mm-hmm. But, I thought of it during this because of the description of, like, the green mist, right? And how he, like, you know, in the story, stuck his arm out and could feel the energy. Mm -hmm. And if you guys have listened to Astonishing Legends or other other podcasts or researched electronic fog, it's kind of a similar described thing. And then, like, there's time travel components, there's teleportation components that come into it. But it's from what is... Uh, from all, by all accounts, an, a natural phenomenon of the earth, right? Yeah. So what I'm looking at this as is like, maybe this was one big fat accident. Like, it, you know what I mean? Like if they're doing degaussing uh, experiments or whatever, yeah. maybe that potential manipulation, it's like the perfect concoction, like wrong place, wrong time, mm. where there's sort of like maybe some sort of a natural force involved in this because electronic fog, a lot of the stories, it's not military experiments involved. It's just like planes flying in one place and 10 minutes later spitting out somewhere that would take them 10 hours to get to. Um, well, I don't think it was that exaggerated, but yeah, it was like something several along hours. Those lines. It was a few hours sure. that he had traveled in the and that's span just, of 30 And that's minutes. just one story of it too, right? But like the notion of electronic fog, it's just sort of similar. It just kind of like made me think of like, yeah, the green mist, the feel of the energy. Maybe there's some experiments into manipulating the Earth's natural forces. Mm-hmm. Was the USS Eldridge right on some ley lines? What else can I what else can I tack on to here I for don't everybody? Know. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Yeah, no, that's that's a whole lot of crazy, but it, that is very interesting. Um, yeah, what else do we want to get into here? Like we had some notes on the Montauk project as I mean, well. This is this is something that again is kind of funny because <laughs> it is described as an extension of the Philadelphia Experiment right. by the authors. Um, so this was like a series of books. Like I, I'm pretty sure there's at least five, if I'm not mistaken. And this was written by two authors, Preston B. Nichols and Peter Moon. So it describes in the books the Montauk Project is allegedly a series of classified experiments on the topic of time travel, among other things, if I'm not mistaken. Taken. I haven't taken the time to read the books. It's, it's on a lot. Mind control, like using psychedelics, it's, I think was a big part of it, wasn't it? Like there's a lot going on. with the There was a lot going on. Yeah. But yeah. So it's interesting because these authors, uh, Nichols and Moon, have never claimed to have fictionalized anything. Mm. However, they don't not claim that. so it's kind of like it's very inconclusive highly controversial so it must be true it is listed under the genre of conspiracy right so again right like it almost reminds me of the the day after roswell remember that that was written after that guy that was like supposedly in uh 
I think he was in the Department of Defense or something like that. I, I do remember. get why you're bringing this up, though, too. It's like it's it's the breadcrumb trail, right? It's like mm-hmm. if all of these things are just crazy conspiracy theories, but there's maybe one breadcrumb involved in, say, the Montauk Project that happens to be, like, maybe true, then 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 there are these these like lines it's like the fishing line you can hardly see it but it's still there and it's like it's reaching out and touching something that might be the philadelphia experiment or might be some other weird project that we don't even know about because it never got blown up into this crazy conspiracy theory you know Mm -hmm. what i mean yeah and you know i mean the idea of another ship being involved too like i mentioned it off the top yeah or the eldridge just being like a misnomer almost it's Mm -hmm. like that was something that got latched onto by jacques valet I mean, I mean, again, mm-hmm. and it's like everything seems to be connected with this weird story, right? There's all these UFO characters involved. Like Jessup was already doing his thing with UFOs and then gets pulled in by the ONR. You got Jacques Vallée, who was like, you know, hardcore into the UFO research, piping in and having his two cents about it. It wasn't really involving UFOs. He was just a weird military complex story, right? Mm-hmm. But he describes a procedure aboard the USS Engstrom, mm-hmm. E-N-G-S-T-R-O-M which was allegedly <laughs> docked alongside the Eldridge in 1943. Is that docked along, alongside it in New York? Hmm. Or another misnomer, and they're like thinking, oh, the Eldridge is in Philly. I'm not sure. Interesting. But yeah. it was doing these, it was also involved in experiments <coughs> with powerful electromagnetic fields on board this ship, doing the degaussian experiments. Um, the system that was actually invented by a Canadian, apparently, a guy named Charles F. Goodeve. What a name. <laughs> Um, so anyway, yeah, I just I just thought that was interesting. I mean, he wrote that the procedure on board the USS Engstrom, which was docked alongside the Eldridge in 43, involved uh, a generation of powerful electromagnetics on board. Hmm. And blah, 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 blah. yeah, Time I mean, again. could it have been that ship and not the Eldridge? I mean, they both start with an E. I mean, I don't know. Engstrom, like, Eldridge. Yeah, you're, you know, it's not far off, but it's kind of far off, but. Again, it's just another wrinkle to the story that's kind of weird. It's like, yeah. well, there's a ship that sounds very similar. It was also performing these experiments that definitely are kind of strange for the time. Mm. Now we need to go back and look into the ONR records for this ship. <laughs> I know, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I mean, that's kind of winding me down to the end here, and I think we've maybe muddled it more than actually got ourselves towards a final result or I'm explanation. I'm sure that's what happens to a lot of people when they right. start to dive down this little rabbit hole here, yeah. because it is just very bizarre, and there is this whole elaborate entangled weave of yeah different like i wouldn't say competing threads of say opinion and uh blurred fact or you know what i mean like yeah again like it gets into this whole it's been lost not lost but it's been around for 70 years this story and there has been absolutely no evidence to sort of validify or validate i guess i should say uh, any of it, but it still continues to fascinate, which is... Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess the only thing I would be potentially something that's ongoing that would validate it is the current research into teleportation. Mm-hmm. You know, that is not necessarily building off Einstein's theory, but, you know, scientists have successfully teleported photons, right? Yes, and, yes. And, and that is really interesting. Okay, and, and a photon, that is basically what is the most elementary form of light, correct? It's like the smallest particle. I believe so. I mean... Actually, don't quote me on <laughs> that. I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't have that listed right here, like, as that exact description, but you could do a quick search <coughs> on that if you'd like. But this... this it's ver- a, yeah, sorry, it is an elementary particle. There you go. Mm-hmm. But this version of trans of, of teleporting this, this very, like, small rudimentary particle here isn't exactly how you would expect, right? So it, it involves this phenomena, phenomena called entanglement, where essentially it takes three photons to 
uh, to essentially like recreate the original photon on the other side. So you're getting a replica. You're not getting a full mm. teleportation. Interesting. That and, kind of reminds uh, me of uh, uh, Willy Wonka. <laughs> yeah. Actually, this is uh, from uh, sciencehowstuffworks.com, and this was just a funny little quote here from them. It's like, okay, sorry. So, like, by entangling photons B and C, researchers can extract information from photon A. So, like, photon A is the first, B is the middle, C is the end point. Okay. So they're saying here, in other words, when Captain Kirk beams down to an alien planet, an analysis of his atomic structure passes through the transport room to his desired location where it then builds a Kirk replica. Meanwhile, the original Kirk dematerializes. Weird. So it's almost like the original ceases to exist the, the way it did, moves on. and now it moves on as the original would, but the original is no longer. It's not a straight teleportation. That's weird. So it's almost, if that's true, and if, if the Philadelphia experiment happened, then what happened was, and that's like, I guess, why the men refused to the ship. It's Didn't like, quite happen correctly. No, it's like, and, and, it, and it wasn't the same ship. The Eldridge dematerializes, is re-put together in Norfolk, dematerializes again, and rematerializes as, an, as a third new ship back again. Mm-hmm. Not its original ship, and not the ship that dematerialized in Norfolk, hmm. but a third ship. And somewhere along that weird line is where, like, men are lost in time. People are down a rabbit hole, down an interdimensional portal, and end yeah. up in the in some other universe or whatever, yeah. right? <laughs> Fused to the ship. The ones that actually do stay on board or whatever. Hmm. So anyway, that's that's bizarre. But it's ongoing research. And like you kind of alluded to, maybe we'll have some invisibility cloaks, like, sooner than we think. And if this is research that's currently happening, it's, is it that far-fetched to think that there would have been some really, really like swing, this big swing in moves for, to try to like a- obtain this technology back in the day mm-hmm. to take over the world, essentially. I mean, definitely the Germans would have put, been, been doing definitely. that. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at on this. That's that's sort of my final statement right. on the Philadelphia experiment. Well, that is a big mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not even sure where I'm landing with this. I think it's a very fascinating legend. And I think it will continue to persevere in, in the uh, popular imaginations of our society yeah, going yeah. forward. And yeah, it's just a lot of fun. I love it. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's very ambiguous. I don't know who to believe. I definitely don't see Alan as obviously like uh, anyone listening can probably tell. I don't think he's the most reliable person at all or the most qualified person to be making the statements that he was making. But mm. it was like, was he fed stuff or was he just making it up? I think it's he, time did, to... he did claim to have made it all up. And then recanted that yeah. later on. Mm-hmm. It's all so weird, man. This is the time where we need you guys to pipe it. Yeah, we, we want to know what it. you guys think about all this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you can uh, hit us up with an email. We always love to hear from you guys. We'll we'll be posting on our Facebook group too. You can go and follow us over there if you haven't already. Yeah, so Into the Portal mm-hmm. Podcast on Facebook, Into the Portal Podcast on Instagram. Mm-hmm. You can send us an email at uh, Into the Portal Mailbox at okay. gmail.com. Come follow us on Twitter at Into the Portal One, the number one. And uh, yeah, follow the network as well at Strange Pods on Instagram, Strange Podcasts on Twitter. And uh, the website is still down for the network, but it should be back up uh, relatively soon. That's straightupstrange.com. And of course, you can always uh, check out the archive and everything we've done on ITP at uh, intotheportal.com. Do not forget to uh, please leave us that five-star rating and uh, a review if you're enjoying the show. It really helps us defeat the algorithm and and, uh, keep Into the Portal growing. And uh, thank you again Mm -hmm. to all of our Patreon supporters, our new uh, producer, Jackson, all of our producers, Adam Kellums, Mm -hmm. Nightwing, 
uh, Kitsune, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, yeah, all all, all and of our the, latest uh, paranormal scholar in need. Yes, mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining us, and uh, yeah, everyone over there is so awesome. If you haven't checked us out, um, click the link below in the in the show notes. You can look at uh, Patreon and all of our other links. And uh, yeah, we can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about the Philadelphia Experiment Part Two. <laughs> and uh, until next time, on into the portal. Your gateway to the bizarre. Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.